Welcome to SickCast, brought to you by Sick Research Institute, illuminating every path. This episode of the SickCast is from a live webinar that originally aired on December 4th, 2021. Thank you for joining today's webinar hosted by the Sick Research Institute. This webinar will begin with a 50-minute moderated discussion between our moderator and panelists, after which we will have around 30 minutes uh, of Q&A from the audience. So please, as the video stated, uh, drop your questions in the chat box and be sure to include your name and city. Now, I'd like to introduce you to today's panelists. Harinder Singh serves as the Senior Fellow, Research and Policy at the Sikh Research Institute. He's a widely respected educator and thinker who is deeply in love with One Force, the oneness that radiates in all. He co-founded the Sikh Research Institute and the Punjab Digital Library, organized the Free Akal Takht Movement, and envisioned Goran Singh Academy. Harinder Singh holds a BSc in Aerospace Engineering, an MS in Engineering Management, an MPhil in Granth Sahib, and a Diploma in Persian Language. He's Guru Sikh, Punjab's lover, and Begumpura's Jedi. His current focus is on availing the message of the Guru Granth Sahib to global populations and developing critical thinking in Sikh institutions. He currently resides in the United States with his wife and two children. Kiran Jodhkor serves as Associate Editor at the Sikh Research Institute. She is an academic, writer, and educator that currently resides in Toronto, Canada. She is a researcher that finds strength and inspiration through Sikh principles like Sangat and Seva and strives to reinvigorate academic spaces with the same divinely inspired passion. Kiran Jodh is pursuing her PhD at York University. She holds an MA in Religion, Culture, and Global Justice from Wilfrid Laurier University and a BA in the Study of Religion from the University of Toronto. Giran Joth has a keen interest in higher education and curriculum development. She is particularly interested in how, in, uh, how we can genuinely implement critical pedagogies into our public uh, educational institutions. Her doctoral research focuses on bodies of literature relating to post-secular and post-colonial theories and ideas in the philosophy of religion. Please welcome our panelists for today. Myself, but also everyone else that joins us here today. Uh, like Minderkor um, mentioned, Harinder Singh is a staunch community activist, educator, and senior fellow, as well as the co founder of policy and share insights on current situations regarding this. So, this webinar is coming at an important time in terms of our current moment. Historically, we are as a community remembering the shahadat of Guru Gobind Singh Sahib's family, Sajar Sahib Zadeh, and countless others who have sacrificed their heads in the path of Sikhi. We are in tumultuous times for their Singh, as I'm sure you may know. Um, not only did we see a global health crisis coming out of the pandemic, 
but also arguably a period of intense spiritual and moral decline with uh, amplification of mental health issues. Um, on the other hand, there have been situations of great violence and oppression that we are seeing coming out of India with the farmers' protests. So this is certainly a charged moment of reflection um, and action for Sikh communities around the world who are experiencing varying degrees of displacement, uh, disassociation, disempowerment. Uh, so hopefully today we are able to create a space that reflects a deep affinity with Ikonkar uh, through inquisitive modes of analysis, but also discussions of healing and connection to our divine force. So when thinking about Shukrana and Shahadat, as well as Daab, there is this fascinating movement that occurs between forces like acceptance and resistance, um, which are both theoretical and pragmatic. So it seems to have a very contradictory character. As six, we are expected to hold both simultaneously. So I think the contemporary world could benefit from a nuanced discussion of this perceived contention, uh, since we see it in our Guru's lives time and time again. Um, questions that come to mind are, how do we talk about theory and resistance, but also this practical acceptance of hookah? Um, obviously in the same sentence, but situating this relationship within the complexity of our modern lives. When do we accept and abide by hukam? And when do we resist and stand up for ourselves? What's happening on the internal and external levels of these dynamics? How are we supposed to center gratitude, shikrana, and this larger idea of gaf, gift, uh, and shahadat, martyrdom? which of course shahadat may feel like it's very incompatible, feels very violent to some and not palatable within a conversation of shukrana, but I feel like Sikhi quite beautifully melds these forces together. So this is going to be the general framing for today's webinar as we pursue this trajectory of questions with varying levels of relatability, depth, and nuance. So we will start by exploring the more abstract and philosophical uh, Gurmat ideas about shukrana and shahadat, and then we'll proceed to move the conversation into a more practical and political understanding of resistance and acceptance of them. Now, all these words are super loaded and the interplay of the relationships are all the more complicated. So perhaps we should begin by working through the idea of Shukrana. So to be in Shukrana is to be in a state of gratitude. Um, new age spiritual formulations often discuss gratitude and grounding as one of the foundational uh, principles for spiritual growth. In Sikhi, what does it look like or feel like to be in a state of Shukrana? Uh, is it constant repetition of Simran or can it translate to the ways we interact with one another? What are the ways in which you would best describe this kind of space for anything? All right. Well, Guru Fateh, Kiranjo, those are some definitely very heavy questions you are raising and the context you have set up. Look, the shukar word, at the onset, what I want to say is this word is a contemporary adaptation to explain what a particular sick feeling might be. Because the word itself doesn't show up in Bani. And it's very interesting, the word shahadat and shukrana, the word sahid comes, but in the, the way we're going to talk about it, they really don't appear. So shukrana is something in a post-guru period. 
or within guru period, a community has come to understand, interpret, and explain when we are in a state of thankfulness. So I, I'm glad you actually put it in the context of, look, the way we use it, some, we are thankful for everything because we are used to the serenity and thanking prayers as they appear on the, uh, you know, the dollar stores to $50 stores on what you put on your walls, on your desks. That's not what this is, right? Because we teach our kids many things as well, but we're discussing the idea here in a sick context. Yeah, of course we are thankful for everything, but what is the state of existence? So as I've understood this based on uh, Guru Granth Sahib, based on the lives of the Guru, it's the response which comes when you actually have become like a corn car. Until then, it is an aspiration that I want to emulate the Guru because they lived in sugar. So this idea of you know, a lot of Guru Tegh Bahadur Pasha conversations are going on these days. And when he says, you know, in his own Bani, he says, when the Har and Harjan, there is no difference. So when I become like the divine, which means what is divine? What is a Kohankar? That force, which is always identifying with the truth. It's an eternal identification, Satanam, the one who has become a creative individual, Kartapurk like in their approach and how they approach things in life whether it is politics or whether it's family or whether it's career or whether it's finance. You know, those are our descriptors, but gurus didn't put any of those adjectives in front of any of these words. And as we become, you know, you go through this whole process of nirvair. Sure, we are taught to not be enemies of anyone, but look in our daily vocabularies, we use these words all the time. I hate you is a very common expression. You know, nirpa, nirvair, how can we actually understand these well, we do understand them to some level intellectually, but we are not able to live them. And same with Sam Hung, we lived in borrowed knowledges, knowledges right now. I have read this book. I have read this author. I have watched this YouTube video. I have heard this influencer. I like what uh, Rupi Kaur is saying this week, and I like what Oprah said 10 years ago, and I like whoever your favorite celebrity of the time might be. But Sam Hung is when you have experienced it. It's self-illumination. It is not borrowed experience of anyone. And this is where how you feel that grace has entered you, the wisdom has entered you. And that's Guru Prasad. So I would say shukar is when we have accepted our realities, our existences, uh, because I am becoming like the divine. I have become like the divine. In that state then, whether you are the richest guru like Guru Amar Das in the financial sense, or you are sitting on Tati Tavi like Guru Arjan or Guru Tegh Bahadur, who is being politically um, martyred is our word, but you know, assassination essentially in the middle of Delhi by the orders of the state. So those are two extreme things, right? But all of it is shukar. Tera kiya mitha lage. When whatever is happening, what our classifications of good or bad are, our dichotomies of negative and positives, our religious understandings of pun and pap, the sins and the virtues, but none of this you're complaining about, you're accepting as it comes, that's shukar. That's the highest level of shukar. The other levels of our subsets of that, so we become thankful for whatever we are able to feel right now, but can I be thankful for whatever is coming my way?
That was beautiful. Thank you for that. Um, so then maybe we can move on to chart a sort of relationship between Kitan and Hukum um, and elaborate more. Um, so in the commentary for Asaki Rod 44, Gurunanik Sahib is invoking this widely used quote, um, this idea of your destiny being written on your forehead. Uh, but instead of destiny, Gurunanik Sahib writes the command uh, is inscribed on each forehead. Everything is written and the only one who's beyond this writing is the one, one force, who is both eternal and formless. So how are forces like Hukam, command, divine will, related to Shukrana? Um, there seems to be this oscillation between predetermination and free will. Um, so perhaps you can just expand uh, more than you already have on this dynamic and discuss how these principles actually work together to inspire a Gurmukh-based relationship. Sure. So these are ideals, right? I don't want anyone to think that these are not approachable things. They're very approachable. And this is what the gurus were teaching us, that we can become like the divine. And they became like the divine, and this is why we saluted them. And through their lives, through their bani, uh, through their legacies, our aspiration is, can we come closer to that? Can we minimize the distance between our existence and the existence it needs to be? So in that context, you know, the, the, the slok you're quoting there, the word actually used is path, a command, not the fear. Uh, the more common one, if I may invoke, which most of the Sikh world is aware of, is in Japji Sam. In the very, uh, right after the openings, where it's describing the hukum in a, in a party. And it actually says very clearly, hukme andar sabko, bahar hukum nakwe. That's one of the few absolute statements that everything is in command, nothing is outside of the command. So this command is with a capital C, which basically means, look, you know, the scientists and archaeologists and anthropologists and uh, people who are studying deep explorations of space, they all agree that there is some sort of a command structure. There is a cosmic order of things. There is order of things. And hukum is order of things. Whether I understand it or not, we don't understand everything about everything, whether it's even psychology or in the relationships or whether uh, this nearest uh, mission to Mars and the pictures it sends. But we appreciate the beauty. We begin to see there is a vastness. Hukum is that vastness. And Shukrana enters when we begin to not just appreciate that beauty, that vastness, that command, that order of things, but when we are starting to live with it, which essentially means shukara, that I am able to see this and I'm able to understand it and I'm able to live it and accept it. So as acceptance increases of the order of things, this is one way to say that I am being, I'm entering the phases of shukara. I'm entering the phases of gratitude. I'm entering shukrana. So the shukr, and because we keep using this word, it's an Arabic word, guys. It has a very big connotation and a large Islamic Sufi principle behind it. But I'm using it in a common sense now because we do that. We don't look at where the word comes from because Guru tells us no language is bad. The only language which matters is of love, where the infinite is discovered in love. So shukr is that thing. But there's a very high level of acceptance and when you live in that acceptance, that becomes shukar. So hukum and shukar come together, hukum and raza come together, because these are very Islamic words which have been brought into and accepted and embraced by 
the gurus and the writers, the secondary texts included, uh, we also are using it because they have become common parlance. I think that's a great way to demonstrate this relationship. So thank you for that. Um, I, maybe this can serve as a priming for the next discussion that we completed on liberation movements in Sikhi. Um, around this time last year, we were seeing those scenes of the Nhangapodjan arriving to Delhi, many of them proclaiming they were ready to become Shaheed, uh, in response to the farmers' movement, embodying this Biras or this warrior spirit. Um, and what I get from that is that there was this reverence and this inspiration that was at an all-time high during these moments. And it felt like a revival, an awakening of the Sikh consciousness. And that's where I want to begin the next conversation on liberation movements. We know violence to come in a myriad of manifestations. Um, and I will be like the people that you just described, uh, quoting books uh, in an essay titled uh, we were never meant to survive by Anna Clarissa Durazo. She says that violence has many dimensions, economic, environmental, militarized borders, wars of terror, attacks on language and culture. And all of these are deemed natural uh, as a phenomenon by the imperial and corporate powers. In the life of Guru Tegh Bahadur Sahib, we see an imperial rule using violence to infringe on uh, the freedom of religious minorities. Uh, the Guru Shahadat is a result of the sovereign's resistance to the harsh empire under Aurangzeb. So my questions now are multidimensional in this regard. How can Sikhs connect contemporary state violence for natives, refugees, immigrants, again, religious minorities to martyrdom and the legacies of our Gurus? How do we go about conceptualizing Sikh resistance in this case? And what are the characterizations of this kind of spiritually informed resistance to oppression? Now, an answer could be to be more guru-like, but if you could elaborate on what this is supposed to mean for many diaspora Sikhs who are actively engaging in resistance and liberation movements across the globe, uh, standing up not only for the Sikh community, but are also standing in solidarity with others who are being dispossessed by colonial and imperial forces. So Harinder Singh, I know these are heavy questions, but if you could lead the way for us. Um, sure, I mean, there are, there are not three questions there, there are 30 questions there. So let's say how we can, by the way, I appreciate uh, how, my understanding of how you're framing this is, you know, what academia does it, it studies things and it tries to make sense of it. Eventually what academia does is influences what the next things might be. It tries to make sense of complex things, which otherwise people are not able to make sense of. Now, I'm coming more from a seeker angle. So I appreciate that framing and we need to be part of those thought systems, but I think those systems don't understand Sikhi. So for example, warrior. Sure, in Gurbani, who's a warrior? It's not just the one who is a resistance fighter. I mean, I'm a Star Wars fan, so I understand You know what does it mean from a different angle to fight the empire, right? And they are the rebels. But in Gurbani, Jako This is very important. The one who is drenched in Har, in Har Rang, the color, the love of Har. Hari is what? Hari is all pervasive. Hari is a that form which eliminates fear out of you. Hari is the one 
where it is the oneness idea is actually being felt. So the warrior who's drenched and colored in this is the one who is a warrior in Sikh tradition. And you will see this in the Guru period. So we may have projects, we may have campaigns where we create alliances with other resistance fighters, where their inspiration might be different, but if we have alignment on the end results, we do work together. So this is not about that uh, we cannot work with other people who are fighting the empire uh, or the unjust state. You know, there are different vocabularies depending on which leftist ideology or which religious ideology one comes from. And what Guru Sabs are doing is they're saying they actually use none of those words, that's why. I think this is the beauty. They're using the common understanding of that to present to the commoner how to become vast. Even the warrior is vast. The warrior, which shows up in Guru Granth Sahib and in practice in the lives of the gurus and the Sikhs who were Sikhs of the guru, not of their ideologies, they practice this because they were drenched in this. So it's very clear that uh, the warrior tradition is a part of being a Sikh. It is not a separate group. Just like our Kirtaniyas also went to the battle. They went to the protest 100 years ago. You know, our scholars, <laughs> the world had not seen that a scholar can become a martyr as well. This is what Pai Mani Singh and Baba Deep Singh were. That's why they became a case study because world had not seen people who are calligraphers, people who are uh, uh, interpreting Guru Granth Sahib, and they're interpreting Pai Gurdas's war and writing a composition called Sikhandi Pagatmala to explain to the Sikhs. I mean, this is serious. They're serious exegetes, as we'll call them today, right? So my point is, we became case study. The Sikh case study of a warrior became unique because they had not seen that non-political people can also be political all the way to martyrdom. And this is where I want to bring it. This is why when 100 years ago, in the Gadar movement, sure, it was run by Sikhs and Amritari Sikhs, initiated Sikhs, but they had no problem working with the Communist Party in India, for example, because we understood that we are fighting an unjust state. Guru Tegh Bahadur Padshah could go and create a mediation between uh, Aurangzeb's king, because he was the emperor, and the one who opposed him in Assam, because we are focused on this vast idea, this martyrdom, and then this is where I think... Uh, I don't know if I am able to simplify it, but first thing I'm saying is we must understand who a sura is, who a martyr is, who what shahadat is in Sikhi. It's, they are love-drenched people. And then love-drenched people, they are focused on creating a just state. They are focused on fighting an unjust state. And they are not just focused in a way that they'll only run a campaign. Uh, they have already married death, and that's Gurbani. The ones who have already married death, they are beyond consequences. They have become the lovers. And those lovers are the ones became the case studies in Sikh history. And only they will remain the case study and they're beautifully captured in Arardas in contemporary Punjabi. Thank you. So I would say that in this trajectory, we could you know, assert that there are quite a few resonances between Sikh Shahadat or to be love wrenched and how different faith groups encounter martyrdom. Um, groups have uh, drawn inspiration and a sense of resilience from these kinds of moments since the beginning of world history. Um, drawing on well-known freedom fighters like Malcolm X, the Sikh gurus, of course, Sankhya Nal, Sainji, Pindranwale, 
the five martyrs of Shia Islam, and Jesus is the first martyr of the church, and so on. Um, can you elaborate on how the Sikh tradition of Shahada fits into the global legacies of oppression and resistance narratives? How has Shahadas perhaps even become appropriated in neo-colonial contexts? And in what ways does Shahadas expand on this need to be sovereign? Uh, so, you know, let's talk about the word Shahada to start with then. Again, it's a Arabic word. The land of South Asia, now, you know, six, seven different nations, but primarily we focus on India and Pakistan. That area had not seen what the word Shahadat meant even in Islamic context. So this is why you will see the organizational words primarily come from Persio-Arabic vocabulary and they have been embraced in Sikhi because it is a big thing. Shahadat is witness onto the Haq. Haq is truth with a capital T. So Shahadat is not just, again, how Islamic world today practices is not what I'm discussing right now. I'm saying the word started there. It's like the word shukra. It started from that civilization, that culture, that ideology, and we embraced it at a very different level. And similarly, shahadat has been embraced because when the shahadat is presented in Sikh tradition, it is not just dying in the name of religion because Guru Nanak critiqued it in Asakivar. He says, Lak Surtan Sangram, Ranma Chutai Puran, 100,000 plus are dying in the battlefield, dying in the name of religion. So what? So for us, it is very different. So what is this difference? Difference here is that this is also the dot. And this is where I want to bring the word dot. Thankfulness is a dot. Shahadat is a dot. Shukar and shahadat are both gifts. Shahadat from is a gift. And I want to get into that a little bit later, perhaps, if we have time. But shahadat is when we are witness on to some other truth, not my truth or your truth or the Sikh truth or the Islamic truth, there is this satna, that eternal identification with the divine, that existence of becoming like divine, because this life is also not mine. And in Sikhi, this is why, you know, the Nam Danishnan enters our lives and this dan of your body, which was never mine anyway, but when that realization comes, so whatever I have, including this physical body, because I have confronted death, I'm willing to give it back to the one who gave me this because I have become the doer. I have become the server of either the Sarbat or Panth. And this is where Shahadat enters in Sikhi. It is really a larger narrative of what we will today call unjust states as being fought. So when we look at it in the, uh, in the sort of comparisons or the case studies of the world, you know, Malcolm Hacks has his own ideology. We salute it, you know, and this is one of the things we have to understand, you know, when Guru Gobind Singh Maharaj is fighting the Pahadi Rajas or the Mughal state, you know, one side is a Hindu, one side is a Muslim. Guess what? In his battles, people who were Sikhs, who were, people who were Hindus and people who were Muslims who fought with the Guru against the unjust Hill Rajas and against the unjust Mughal state. That is remarkable. You don't find that in the religious world. You don't find this in a political world. People of only that ideology come together. So this was the inspiration of the guru. Where an average person, like when you look at the details of the Pangani Yod, we appreciated the other generals. So we will appreciate our adversary even. 
This is why we have no hatred when we fight. And if we are displaying that hatred, whether in 2021's particular event or in historical of 84 other things, that's not a sick way to operate, which means we are not love drenched. So we appreciate the martyr traditions of the world, the freedom fighter traditions of the world, because they're fighting to create, as they best understand, their politics and their religiosities. But we have our own way to operate. And where they match, we work together. So there is a code among warriors, and Sikhs always had that as well. Even the one who came across her, uh, across Guru Hargobind Padshah, Pande Khan came across him. He says, why don't you try first? Because Guru is always a teacher. Guru is always instructing. Doesn't matter who it is, whether it is a Sikh or a Muslim or adversary or a Hindu, or today we will say whether it is a religious person or an atheist, who, you can have adversaries who are religious and you can have adversaries who are atheists. You can have adversaries who are only religious or only political. Regardless of who the adversary happens to be, acknowledging their greatness, and even then fighting the battle because you're fighting to create your idea of Begampura, Sikh idea of uh, creator will or Kartarpur and things of that nature. Thank you, that really does elaborate on what I was asking. Now, if we were to talk about a healthy internalization of Shahada uh, and what that looks like from a Gurmukh-based perspective, how do the functions of vigilantism, gatekeeping, community arbitration, all of these come into play for all the constituents involved? And what's to be said about this? How do we come to this healthy uh, internalization? So, you know, uh, in previous uh, question, which I didn't get to touch upon, the word Shaheed and Shahadat are getting appropriated. That's the problem. Sikhs are doing it themselves. Indian state has done it, where it's somebody's job and they get paid to go fight and they're also now called Shaheeds. But there, there are lots of problems we are facing. The word martyr gets used. Uh, this week it got used for people. And I've seen it over the last 30 years. It has become very frequent. So we have to be a little bit, just like the word guru has been appropriated, our word, the word satsang, satsang has been copyrighted by Akankar societies and Radha Swami satsangs. All of this is going on. And in that larger appropriation mechanisms, things are getting diluted. And in the Sikh mind and Sikh psyche, although we have a pretty good idea in a macro sense, in a micro sense, we need to do better appreciation of what Shaheed is. So Shaheed word we talked about earlier, but I don't want to touch upon that. We have to be careful and not appropriate. You know, we say we don't like when someone else appropriates a turban, but we do it ourselves. Now that has become a fashion, fashionable thing to do on college campuses to now, you know, public squares and large cities. So think about it. So why are we getting upset when Modi does it or some political leader does it, whether it is in India, Canada, or wherever the six are? Because we ourselves are not sure what we are doing with it. Similarly, our Shaheeds, we need to be very clear about that they are not the ones who died fighting. That is the Islamic angle. The Sikh angle is the love-granched ones who were fearless and who were uh, hatredless. They were fighting for a cause. The cause could be Sarbat Palaz or Panth Jeet. They did it. So now uh, I can sort of quickly give a couple of examples. You know. Um, if we apply that principles, we had people, you know, strong personalities like Jassa Singh Aluwalia, for example, when they captured Lahore, you know, the 
six wanted to uh, once they captured this and now let's take care of the patiala people the patiala because they never have supported the sikh cause you know let's take care of the pangis he's like no this is not our way so restraining your own people from going and taking badla or vengeance this idea of revenge it was never part of sikh tradition we are the people of nya we are the people of justice in guru granth sahib's vocabulary the word hate and revenge or vengeance does not enter so this is one way that leaderships of the time leaderships of the political resistance movements they need to be loved ranched and they need to restrain their people not everyone is at that level people like me don't know what to do so i've had conversations with resistance fighters in last 30 years and it's incredible their acknowledgments and how humble and reflective they are about this like we didn't know so of course we made mistakes but this realization is what i'm after and i really appreciate but they do know that guru demands more and our work is cut out in that training of being nam drenched love drenched right so clearly today um we are bearing witness and our subject of complex hegemony in the realm of both civil and larger global dynamics oftentimes we are experiencing oppression we are reading about it we are teaching it So all of this can be very difficult for the human psyche. Generational generational cycles of trauma, feelings of helplessness or loss of agency are often experienced in relation. Uh we think of the way in which many of our families have been implicated in the violence of oppressive forces. So how can we place shukrana moving on to be a self-healing mechanism? Um, perhaps you can help us better understand shukrana in the context of the body, the soma, and how the vibrations of gratitude can lead to the healing of our trauma. Yes, and then this is a very, very important piece. This is incredibly important because uh, how we understand the common understanding of healing now and the trauma post 1984. Uh, we haven't been paying much attention to it so we have a collective trauma which means we have collective healing to do and we have individual trauma which means we have individual healings to do the sikh uh, culture was very big on this we did not follow the way of the world even in this because if we followed the way of the world our narrative of what happened to chote sahibzade what happened with vadde sahibzade what happened with mata gujri what happened with their separation at parivar vichoda what happened to harsharan kaur all of this will be very different so what was our healing our healing is naam daan ishnan i'm going to come back to naam you know i remember about 20 years ago physicians for human rights in new york had put out that they're looking for rehabilitation theory on torture victims and they would like a sick theory on that i personally contacted many psychiatrists and we were not they were not able to develop one because they were trained in psychiatry but they were not trained in bani you know uh, gurbani is among perfections and infinite wisdoms of many kind it's a shabad asga one of the larger things in there also is that it is a psychoanalysis of different mindsets and the healing at the largest sense for us is also so the academics the gyanis they need to really delve more into bani 
And Bani is what produced the legacy of the Sikhs. Many Sikhs never saw the Guru physically, but the Shabad healed. Living in Nam healed. So the healing, collective healing for Sikhs was never about complaining. It was not that we are not going to seek physical helps. We always did that. Gurus themselves set that up for even their adversaries. You know, when Guru Harai Sahib is sending uh, medicine uh, to the Mughal emperor's son. So we obviously will take help of whatever the pathies are, allopathy and homeopathy and Ayurvedic and the Chinese medicines. Please follow because our physiologies are different. You need to go seek those helps. That's physical healing. The healing which the Sikh culture presented was that Jojo Soso Rogi, Rog Rahat Mera Satgur Jogi, the mental healing, the trauma, you know, which is all mental. Mansik, it's called in Punjabi. It's from man. It's the mental thing. The mental health has become big now. It was always big for the six. We found solace in Gurbani. We got together with each other where we says, Sakhi Saheli ko samjave, my feminine friend and my feminine girlfriend in that sense, because we are all feminine. That's where the healing happens. The hyper-masculinity is not allowing healings in our collective community right now because we have stopped being feminine in our approaches of collective healing. And that's what Guru has taught us. That the only one who does not have mental trauma, who does not face mental health issues anymore is the perfect Guru. All of us otherwise need it. We are somewhere caught up between our own neurosis and psychotic disorders or character disorders. And Bani used to provide that. We used to sing together. We used to reflect on it. Gavo, Pado, Suno. So singing together, reading and studying it together, and listening to it together, this used to be the number one coping mechanism of healing for six. And then we always said, please seek the physical help you can through counselors or medicines or whatever else is needed. Thank you for that. Um, so moving on to maybe a motivation to cultivate gratitude and to uh, reflect on them. You know, coming from this ethos of worldly sacrifice, how are Sikhs supposed to be motivated to cultivate a practice of inner gratitude, but also still be willing to sacrifice perhaps our ego selves in the acceptance of Hutan? So let me clarify. If we draw on the case of Banda Singh Bahadur, uh, he was chosen by Guru Gobind Singh Sahib. There was direct contact. Um, perhaps in this situation, it was easier to become compelled by the electrifying presence of Guru Sahib. Today, we might not be experiencing those same kinds of absorbing interactions, perhaps in lesser degrees, but there's a lot more complexity uh, clouding us. So how are we supposed to create this dialogue within ourselves and motivate to act as if we're in the presence of someone like the Golden Center? Well, <laughs> I mean, the, 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 this question is for the guru. It's between you and the guru. But if I take it in spirit, firstly, I actually do not agree with the presumption there. Times have always been complex. Their manifestations only change. You know, 
just because our awareness level is more, well, our options are more too. Our accesses are more too. Earlier people didn't have those. So uh, according to Gurbani, it has nothing to do with the time and era you live in. This is why the very first slogan in Guru Granth Sahib says, Ad Sach, Jugad Sach, Happy Sach, Nanak Hosi Pi Sach, that the ideas in Bani are not concepts or philosophies. They are lived experiences which can be practiced at any moment, anywhere in this universe. This is a very powerful thing. And I don't think this paradigm is understood by those people like me who are aspiring to be six in training and those who are studying the six. So that premise is very, very important. So still, then what do I do today? Well, the way I correlate these things, I mean, I look at my own journey, you know, when I was a preteen, what did I do? Preteen, I was primarily listening and wondering what are they telling me, <laughs> right? Sometimes, they'll, I mean, I know for the first part of inspiration in Sikhi for me was, they said, Gurdwara Jana, so we all went to Gurdwara, but we went early morning. And so we cleaned. That's how it started. I didn't have an understanding. I think there's an overemphasis on this um, understanding these days. Understanding is a larger phenomena where information is only one element of it. There, one of the things which we are dealing with today is now we are in information age, right? In information age, so when I look at my preteen years, in my teen years, I started reading a little bit more, something beyond what I was told by the Granthi and the nannies or the parents. So I read a little bit. So that increased level of information. There I found inspiration in history. I'm like, wow, this is very possible. We are not archaic people. You know, we, we have changed the history of South Asia. You know, later then I said, okay, I went into reflections. So all of this is part of the process from reflections and talking in retreats and other places. I remember actually in all the retreats in mid nineties where I remember his name. He's now a psychiatrist, Kamal Neel. He says, oh man, it was so much easier for the Panjipiare, the original ones. They just gave their head one time. I said, man, that's a cop out. He's like, no, we have to give it every day. I'm like, because maybe we are not ready to give it the real one. So, you know, we have these sort of justifications that earlier times were easier. You ask any woman and you are one of them, every woman will tell you earlier times were much worse, right? So this idea is of understanding and inspiration and motivation is no one thing. It is the, the legacy of Sikhi through Ikko Ankar comes from Bani. It, the lived experiences of gurus and the great six, both men and women who lived it, who became poets and warriors and musicians and calligraphers and city builders, all of them. That's where the inspiration comes from. And at some point, a question which uh, all of must face, if we are wanting to go to the next level of shukrana and shahadat, is am I really ready for this or do I just want to be an appreciator of this? So one who is ready for it, they take the next steps. And those next steps have to do with your, our levels of commitment, our levels of that I will have, I will offer everything. Tan man tan, sab gurko, hukum And I'm connecting it because you asked that question. 
how can we accept all these and hukum? Well, when we are willing to give our intellect, when we are giver, willing to give our physical strength, when I'm willing to give my material wealth I've accumulated to live hukum, that's when we will really discover shukrana and shahada. Thank you. Um, so, I mean, this might be more of an academic question, but uh, this word imaginary has come into play quite a bit, um, whether we're talking about academic circles or otherwise. Um, and so if we start by defining the word imaginary, um, it's one of the most interdisciplinary and expansive terms I've ever come across. Um, in the psychoanalytic perspective, like we were talking about shortly before, According to Jacques Lacan, this imaginary refers to a state of being, um, which the subject has no distinction from other people or the external world. Or it could be understood from the secular perspective, according to Charles Taylor, as a modern social imaginary, where there are structures that allow something to show up. These are structures we're never fully cognizant of. Or we could talk about resistance imaginaries and how we should be counteracting these contact structures. It's a very full term, and it invites a lot of possibilities, and I'm sure there are many equivalent terms. But if we were if we were to postulate that there are that there can be such a thing as a post-colonial sick imaginary or an ethos uh, that steers away from this world religions uh, discourse, which we know is too limiting, it's too prescriptive. Let's say we are cognizant of the larger context and structures of our institutions that might be motivated by neo-colonial power dynamics. So if we can postulate there is such a thing from a Gurmukh-based perspective, how do the ideas of shahada, shukrana, dot come to inform an understanding of a Sikh imaginary? You know, I, I was smiling a little bit earlier because I remember reading uh, anthropological accounts, early ones, which started coming out in mid-90s in the context of Sikh resistance movement of the 80s and 90s. And one of the terms they used to use was imagined communities. And they're continuing, by the way. Some of those works are coming out in, another, in different manifestations. And, you know, I would look at that. I'm like, you know, this is, again, I think there's a good news, first of all. I think academia is trying to understand something based on uh, postmodernist approaches now, which is okay, because it's not just post-colonial. I mean, post-colonial started, Edward Said is long gone, and now there are, Foucault is more invoked than him now, right? So from an academic perspective, well, look, the good news from a Sikh angle is we don't need to do this imagination. It was actually a lived experience again, and now let me explain why. You know, because in imaginary, there are utopian states. They were already described and made realities and evolved. So for example, this idea of Begampura, the city without sorrow, this idea of Kartarpur, they were the imagined, they were the imageries, they were the imagined communities, right? Because their articulations by Pagat Ravdas Ji and Guru Nanak Saab, and then captured by Guru Arjan Saab. Guess what? While this articulation, this vision is being shared with public at large in a very open and transparent manner, the work begins right away. And when the state is of particular kind, let's say during Babar, 
Kartarpur is not an imagined community anymore. It actually is being established right away as a parallel. You move on to Guru Arjan Sahib, you know, Amritsar is right away being created a seat. There is a seat of Lahore and Delhi, right away there is a Kal Takht coming. So my point in sharing this is, you come to 18th century, six did, did great work. You know, like the Guru period, it went from Kartarpur's to Manji's, to Subas, which is a state, you know, to Khalsa Raj and Banda Singh Bahadur, to a missile period creating their approach to Begampura and Kartarpur in the realities of invasions, you know, 18th century invasions in the middle of two genocides, where half of Sikh population was killed in one day and the different one, uh, two third was killed in one day. So look at how our imagination, which I will actually call our reality works because it is Bani centered. We never stopped singing Begampura. We never stopped imagining Kartarpur. So we imagine these by making them realities where we lived. And this happened in early 20th century. It happened in 1980s. You know, the reality of 70s and 80s, 1970s and 1980s was they said, well, now there are these modern states which are coming out of this Westminster style democracies, which have been imported initially by Great Britain and now America, right? So they did their own propaganda of these things. Well, Sikhs created their own idea based on our Begampura and Kratarpur, and we call that Anandpur Sahib resolution. So when Jassa Singh Aluwalia is giving an idea in 1765 of what, how we will rule Lahore, he didn't say, let's rule it like the way Banda Singh Bahadur did 60 years ago. And when Sardar Kapoor Singh is articulating that in 1970s, he did not say, let's do it how Jassa Singh Aluwalia did. So our current work is that we need to imagine in 2021, we need to not imagine, we need to articulate. What does it mean in the contemporary reality of India and Pakistan? More so in India because 80% of Sikh population lives there. And you are seeing elements of that when you invoked in the very first question, what we saw last year or what we are currently seeing. We have elements of that. Imagine if the Nam drench comes in, that love drench sura comes in, you will see articulations which are closer to what Bani's idea of Vegampura is. And when those warriors are active from, when they are drenched in that level of Nam, whether they're active in campaigns in Canada about how to deal with First Nations and beyond borders, no one is illegal. These are the campaigns in the West now. We are dealing with immigration rights here too. It's not just in India. Now they dealt with Bangladeshis and people who are Muslim from Muslim countries. We are all dealing with this. The response needs to be, our utopian vision was never utopian. It was articulated once because it is timeless. We need to evolve those to the circumstances and realities and the political theories and the economic systems and the globalizations of today to present our idea, and then we find alliances to make it happen. That's quite brilliant. Thank you for developing that analysis. Um, maybe we can move on uh, as we wrap up the session to something more based in gender. Um, so Dr. Nikki Ganinder Kaur saying, uh, talks about how the poetry of the six is a channel towards the infinite one. The more it stirs, the more closer the destination becomes. So in the search for the transcendent one, there's no hierarchy, there is empowerment for all, 
matter and spirit exist simultaneously, much like what we've discussed today. So can we assert that embodying the feminine divine, the feminine transcendence, is a revolutionary and is a much-needed vehicle to connect this experience of Shukrana and Shahadat? Is it safe to say that all feminine, all-encompassing nature of this transcendent energy of the Galpur is precisely what is missing from the oftentimes violent misrepresentations of Sikhi, intercolonial, or patriarchal interference? Yeah, let's actually, I think this is a great question. Uh, and this is the one which gurus dealt with very early on when the ideas of shahadats were being established in the subcontinent of India because it was foreign to India. When they were being established first by the gurus themselves and the companions of the gurus, when they started becoming public, the whole training was to not look at it as a man or a male or a female thing. But because it is overly still presented, even in a secondary text, the word sing gets used, you know, even in, because it was men who were articulating most of them at the time. But the participant included women. For example, you know, in three weeks, we're going to go through in December in the Po, actually the month of Po, the first two weeks of Po, which are going to start for us. You know, there is a stretch of December 21st through 29th in contemporary calendars we use, you know, this Julian calendars. We talk about Sahib Zades and Mata Gujariji. It is very important because they are all, the martyrdom cannot be presented as a violent sword picking only to counter, even if it's to counter a state. There are other levels of martyrdoms. Her Sharan Kaur is there. She's barely mentioned. When state said, there will be no funerals for the Bhatte Sahib Zade. And state banned it. This is like 1980s in Punjab. You know, we don't understand that this is part of Sikh psyche. State did it. The, earlier it was the Mughal state. And, you know, 30 years ago it was the Indian state. But six, few Sikhs showed up. They said, no, nope, this will happen because Harsharan Kaur set up that example when nobody was taking care of the final rights, the funeral rights of the Vatay Sahib Zadeh, she said, I'll do it. And she did it, and they also killed her. We call it martyred or shahadat, but that's what it is. Political response was of the state, how dare you? She's like, I'm doing it in the name of the Guru. So, you know, this, the less examples we have, I understand that because historically either they're not recorded, but the ones which are recorded, we need to bring into it. The Pani is feminine. And if we can bring that femininity for both men and women, because already there is hyper-masculinity, then we will not have to talk about this from a feminine angle. This is what Nikki Gunnar has written, and she has personally said that to me several times. He's like, you know, our work will be done when we don't have to say this. Because we are having to say this, it means there's work to be done. So it really is going towards that ideal where we are Sakhi Sahelis. Because we are, the gap has gotten very large and we look at this, you know, when we look at the personal correspondences of those who do this, grade six, they actually present themselves as being because that's what Bani does, that we are Sakhi Sahelis. So I think that conversation through Bani is what is lacking at the highest levels. And then practice of that by not uh, fueling uh, this divide between masculine and feminine, 
And also when contemporary writers are writing about the reality of the six, to not use the words which are derivative of from the Sikh. Guru Gobind Singh's words are core and sing. We created Singhani and Sikhani. So let's be very clear on this. Our mindset created that gendering of certain things. And then we brought it into both the Western and Eastern because they're both very patriarchal. And most Sikhs are also very patriarchal. But in the largest sense, when we invoke the Guru, for we do have a pause movement and we come out of it. So let's invoke the Guru and the Bani. Maybe we can come out of it again. Um, so maybe as a wrap-up question, we can talk about the gift, the gift of expansiveness, the God. Um, the ultimate gift given by the ultimate giver can be understood to be that of resilience of true faith in a state of acceptance of hukam. So perhaps as a final discussion, you can articulate the potency of the ardas as an important tool to for accepting the things that we can't change and expressing that gratitude for the things that we actually do have. It looks like Hernandez is frozen, but I think he's back now. Maybe you want to repeat your question, Kieran. I'll just repeat the question in case. Um, so we were talking about that, uh, the gift uh, given by the ultimate giver. And so perhaps as a final discussion, um, you can articulate the potency of your thoughts as an important tool for accepting the things that we cannot change and accepting, uh, expressing gratitude for the things that we can you know, I'm, I'm, I'm having a tough time hearing you. Can you say it one more time, please? Sure. Um, so as a final discussion, uh, to wrap up everything that we've been discussing so far, can you articulate this potency that we get out of your loss as an important spiritual tool uh, for accepting things that we can change and, or, sorry, accepting things that we cannot change, but also expressing gratitude for the things that we do have? Okay. Sure. Uh, I think I want to dwell a little bit on the word dat itself. So, you know, dat is a gift at the end of the day. And we have our own ideas of gift, right? And Gurbani uh, disrupts it. In fact, in Asa Ki War, Guru Nanak Sahib says, What kind of gift is this if we are exchanging? Because we are exchanging, right? Holiday season is here. Sure, as a worldly phenomena, do it. But the higher question is being raised. What kind of gift is it? The one we exchange. He says, the karamat will be. The phenomena which we will not be able to comprehend fully will be. That's karamat. When When the sovereign is so happy and grants. This is daat and sikhi. That is not our transaction that I will do this much and I made this much, I will donate this much, or I will visit this Gurdwara. All those are because we want to be become like the giver. So we share based on our understandings and experiences and capabilities and capacities. But the dat in Gurbani is the one which we get from the sahib, the sovereign. Sikhs have always called gurus patsha. Pacha is sahib, sahib is sovereign. So the one we get from the sovereign is the dat. 
Now, in that sense, when the collective ardas we do, we invoke many dance, many dots, but the contemporary word became done. So we invoke in, you know, you know, third paragraph, for example, our ability to take care of our historical spaces. And we recall those who did it while keeping their Sikhi alive and intact. Right? So this is the aspiration. This aspiration is where I want to remain a Sikh and I must take care of the Sikh institutions. And may I get the Nam Dan, the ability to identify, the Vivek Dan, the ability to think clearly, decipher things, Prosadan, this ability that I can rely on you. Many Dans are listed there. So collective Ardas is actually our collective ask from the Guru that whether to ability to live in shukar and thankfulness and gratitude, or whether the ability to go all the way to embrace shahadat, then I will not be able to do it on my own. I may develop an element of it. I may develop uh, its appreciation, uh, but it will only come when I feel your grace. And that is the utter happiness. And by the way, in don't think this is old history. Six, even as late as 1990s in this. I mean, you're Canadian. The last lecture of Jaswan Singh Kharada was in Canada. And when he says, he uses this word, he knew what state can do when he goes back. And he goes through his journey because he had alliances with the left as well in India when he became a lawyer to fight the unjust state. But he says, when I entered the house of the guru, and Gurbani talks about this, ki how to be born in the house of the Guru, which means the way we think changes, the way we talk changes, the way we act changes. He says, He invokes this, I'm paraphrasing him. So he's standing there in a Dixie Gurdwara, in the realities of unjust state, the one who has gone through the history, the reminder of that his dada was the one on Komagata Maru as well, and how he's trained as a lawyer, and how the left did a good training for him so he can collect the data and what happened in Punjab with the extrajudicial killings. And when the KPS Gill, the butcher of Punjab, is saying all this, even then, knowing all these confusions, like we've been talking about, it's so hard. It always was hard. And just one thing, Kalada says, so this is the contemporary phenomena as well because it is timeless. So for us, shukrana, for us, shahadat is adat. Both are adat. They are the gifts. And these gifts can only be received from the Guru. Rest, we are sakhi sahilis. As we inspire, as we read, as we sing, as we introspect, we may be able to get enough inspiration to become the receiver of this gift from the Guru. Thank you, Nirmal That is such an inspirational and thoughtful conversation. Uh, we do have a question um, from one of the viewers. Um, this is from Jesse R. from Singapore. Um, in relation to the discussion about Hukam and Shukar, how do they interplay and how should we as six, a 
apply these concepts practically, uh, particularly in very difficult personal situations such as betrayal, death, disease, illness. Personally, I struggle with the hukum shukum concept in my own personal experience with domestic violence and wrangling the patriarchy in my Punjabi family. Is it God's hukum that these horrible things have happened to me? And should I be grateful? Not that I've experienced them, but that I have seen and understood certain power dynamics and I'm better able to advocate for myself and other women. Similarly, in terms of the distinction between vengeance and justice, how does that apply to such a situation and wanting criminal and social accountability for your abuser and oppressor? Does that make one a bad thing? I, uh, I, well, firstly, thank you for asking that question. I dare not tell you who a bad Sikh or a good Sikh is. I've been there and I can tell you it's a horrible place to be when I'm deciding that for anyone. I can maybe do that for myself. So the inspiration really, as I have understood of Daat is that regardless of the circumstances, and I understand there are abuses, mental, physical, violent, all sorts of, we have various manifestations, we are aware of them now. Well, this is what Gurbani says, that the realization of the Daat is that it frees you. The word freedom, the liberation word, which was invoked earlier, Gurbani, which it's gut and mukt. Please do not reduce them to spiritualities. Please do not reduce them to particular religiosities. Guru did not put any adjective in front of them. They're about all freedoms, economic, spiritual. And if it is sexual for you, including that as well. It's freedom, period. Freedom from anything which binds you. So if your family member is doing that, if your spouse is doing that, your community member is doing that, state is doing that, invoke the Koankar and ask them for strength to do it. If you don't have that level, seek external help as well. Seek interference if there's abuse going on, which is physical especially. That's it. We need the strength to counter it. We need the strength to acknowledge it. And we need help. We need intervention to address it because sometimes, many a time, we don't have that strength or that clarity. Thank you for noticing. I'm sure many of us have taken notes from the way that you've developed an analysis based on good notes. Um, and thank you to those attending. And if I've made any mistakes in moderating, you're the to forgive me. Wahiduji Gatata, Wahiduji Kupate, I'll hand it over to you. Lovely. Thank you so much, Kieran. Um, I'll just close this out for today. Thank you again. I'll just reiterate what Kieran shared. Thank you, Herler Singh. Thank you, Kieran Jitkor. It was so lovely to listen in on this conversation. I definitely took some notes. I think it's very applicable to all walks and fields of life. Um, I was yeah delighted to sit in on this conversation. As always, a recording of this webinar will be available within 24 hours. Um, if you registered for this webinar um, through Big Marker, the, uh, 
the recording will set, be sent directly to you. And lastly, don't forget to tune into the SickCast, a podcast produced by Sickery, where we explore the various issues and events affecting Six worldwide. Again, thank you everyone for joining in, for being in conversation with us. Today's webinar will be ending now. Vaigujika Khalsa, Vaigujiki Fateh. You are listening to Sick Cast by Sick Research Institute, illuminating every path.